0: Last week I talked about the importance of water and how at the beginning of creation we see water was there and it goes against completely what scientists have told us, what science has told us over the years. So I thought I would again talk about science and, and how sometimes science can be wrong. A Stanford University biologist said that it's already too late for the world to avoid a long period of famine. Paul Elkridge said that a time of famines is upon us. And he said that the population of the United States is already too big that birth control may have to be accomplished by making it involuntary and putting sterilizing agents in staple food and drinking water. That the worst that this population will see, that this earth will see, the most destructive time would be in 1975 this article was written in Saint or Salt Lake Tribune in Utah in 1967 it said that the population is already too big and birth control may have to be accomplished by making it involuntary a major newspaper also ran an article that states that the new ice age is upon us by the end of the 21st by the start of the 21st century and they said that air pollution may obliterate the sun and cause a new ice age to in the first third of the next century if population continues to grow and the earth resources are consumed and at the present rate population expert predicted that we would see disaster and the only way we could solve this is through population control less wasteful standard of living and new technologies to help us use less of our Earth's resources. That was from the Boston Globe in 1970. You know, just on a side note, population control has, has been upon the minds of scientists for quite a bit, trying to protect the Earth, trying to protect it from the resources that it has. And, and not a lot of people know, but in 1979, a group of people, and the whole way it came about was pretty mysterious, but a group of people formed and started to promote their new Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that the world should follow, and uh, they, they made a monument, and they revealed it in 1980, and the first commandment says this, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature, That means that we would have to get rid of 7.4 billion people upon this earth. The second commandment is to guide reproduction wisely, meaning they want to manage people's ability of how they reproduce. And the last commandment of these 10 commandments they list, and they list it in eight different languages on these 19-foot granite, slabs of granite. The last one is... Be not a cancer on earth, leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Like I said, population control and how they, they want to regulate people and their families. This has been on their minds since the early 60s. This has been on their minds, and they, they made this monument. And, and this monument is located in Georgia, here in America. It's called the Georgia Guidestones. But there's also been predictions by scientists that uh, have been wrong. Uh, 1971, they predicted that a new ice age was coming. The Washington Post ran an article saying United scientists, U.S. scientists see new ice age coming. The Guardian ran an article titled, Space Satellites Show New Ice Age Coming Fast. This was 1974. Time Magazine printed an article titled, Another Ice Age, June 24th, 1974. Then the 80s came along and and uh, we had this thing called the ozone, and we had this thing called uh, acid rain. And, uh, but then that kind of faded away, and it, uh, all of a sudden, towards the end of the 1980s, the Michigan Lansing Journal ran an article saying that NASA scientists predict summer record temperatures that would hit the U.S. in the 90s. It's linked to greenhouse warming, And it would start a new heat wave. And the NASA scientists also said that Washington, D.C., that averaged 35 days during its summer months would now average over 85 days, being 90 degrees or higher. The NASA uh, uh, scientists said that the levels of the ocean would also rise 6 feet that was back in 1988. So they moved on from the ice age, and now they're into global warming, and they say that Washington, D.C. will experience 85 days of its 90 days of summer, 90 degrees or more. And I, you know, I'm always curious, so I go and I look up, and I, I looked up the mean temperature, the average temperature between June, July, and August from 1995 or 85 to 2015. So five years before the 90s and 15 years after the 90s, and the average temperature through June, July, and August was this, 85, 89, 87. According to the NASA scientists, it was supposed to be 85 days out of 90. That would be 90 or above. Then in 1989, a report stated, wanted to focus on global warming, said this, from the Washington Post. This Washington Post reporter was asking James Hansen, a NASA climate scientist, what will warming the Earth look like 20 or 30 years into the future? And Hansen looked at the reporter and said to him, you see the West Side Highway, which runs along the Hudson River in New York? He said, if you see the West Side Highway, that will be underwater. And you will have signs in restaurants saying water by request only. That's what will change. Well, now it's, you have to request a plastic straw, but you still can get water at restaurants. And the highway is still in function and not under the Hudson River. Ten years later, in 2008, the Associated Press ran an article saying NASA scientist says we're toast. We are at the tipping point occurring right before our eyes. The Arctic is the first tipping point, and it's occurring exactly the way we said it would. The scientists said that in five to ten years, so the years 2013 to 2018, the Arctic will be free of sea ice in the summer. The article went on to say that the scientist is right, that this scientist is right, and 20 years later, we will look at him as a climate prophet. Well, the scientist was wrong. The scientist was wrong because we still have ice in the Arctic. Matter of fact, if you look on Google Earth, Greenland is always covered with snow and ice. And it's also the same prophet that said the Hudson River would be under, the Hudson River would flood the West Side Highway. He's not a prophet. He was wrong. Predictions made by people, intelligent people, um, have always and sometimes have been wrong. I should say always, but a lot of predictions they make are wrong. People who believe in what they say, they make statements. They make statements of fact because this is what they truly believe. People like Michael Jordan in 1998 They were facing the Indiana Pacers in a game seven. And Michael Jordan says, I don't make promises, but I do guarantee we will win game seven. And he did, because on our honeymoon, I had to go buy a TV so I could watch it on game seven. Yes, that was my fault. But I did watch it, and they did win. So he was right. He made a statement, and it was proven fact. Another guy named Mike Lee stated in 1993 In his yearbook, he put as his caption, Chicago Cubs 2016 would be world champions. You heard it here first. And his prediction came true after 107 years of not winning it. They finally won in 2016. Now, Michael Jordan and Mike Lee, they make these statements in confidence, believing and hoping it would come true. But they made a statement, and the facts proved itself. Time proved it. God makes statements as well and he's been making statements in Genesis 1 as we've been noticing and he spoke to Moses and he declared how and why he created the earth. He made a statement and I believe that God's statements that he makes are always factual, are always truthful and can be believed. The statements that God makes are also true. Yet we turn so much of how we think about the universe and its system over to scientists who have been wrong time and time again. Like I said, there's no Big Bang Theory scientist who believes that water was at the beginning of creation. Even Christians say that the Bible isn't a book of science, and it doesn't tell us How the world was created, but why it was created. If you want to know how it was created, ask science. Matter of fact, a famous evangelist, and his name is not important, but if I mentioned him, you would know who he was, said this. I don't think that there's any conflict at all between the science today and the scriptures. The Bible isn't a book of science. The Bible is a book of redemption. And of course, I accept the creation story. I believe that God did create the universe. I believe that God created man. And whether it came by evolutionary process or at a certain point, he took the person and being and made him into a living soul or not, does not change the fact that God did create man. Well, the evangelist is right about one thing, that the book, the Bible, is not a book of science. But the Bible is a book of truth. And the statements made by God revealed to us are statements of truth and statements of fact. And so here are the statements made about the world and the statements that must be true. Genesis 1 tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from darkness. And He called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. By the conclusion of day one, we have the heavens, we have the earth. We have the the water, which is covering the land, but covering the earth, and we have this deep water, and we have the Spirit of God that's hovering over this, and we have darkness. And then God creates light that separates the darkness from light. These facts do not change because a scientist has a different opinion about how the world began. These truths do not change from generation to generation. The fact is, God created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the water and the darkness and the light. And by the conclusion of day one, we have these elements, heavens, earth, water, light. And there is no scientist that believes in the Big Bang Theory that believes water is at the beginning of the universe. They tell us that it would be over 10 billion years before that could even happen. There is no Big Bang scientist, or there is no Big Bang theory scientist that believes that there is a firmament, that was firmament that was created to separate the water from above from the water from below, as we see in day two. Genesis 1.6 tells us, And God said, Let there be a vault, a firmament in its expanse, a space, and separate to separate water from water. And so God made the firmament and separated the water under the vault, or under the firmament, from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, there was morning, the second day. The waters above the firmament, are the same waters that flooded the earth in Genesis 7. It says this in verse 11. In the six hundred year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, and on the day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven, literally the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now some people say that, That the floodgates of heaven was simply that it rained, supernaturally it rained. But we know something about rain, that when water evaporates from the ocean or from even freshwater lakes, when water evaporates, water goes up into a cloud formation. And when it's too heavy, when there's too much mass, too much water in the clouds, it begins to pour down and it just continues to cycle. They'll fall on the land and drain into the rivers, which drain into the lakes and and so forth. So, there's not enough water in this system to cause a flood that would flood even the highest mountains, the Bible says. So, there has to be water from a different source. And there was from below, from above, and it rained repeated in Genesis 8, verse 2 says, now the springs of the deep, one, the floodgates of heaven had been closed, two, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky, three, three sources of water, three sources of water, the water that was above the firmament, Because the Bible says that God created a firmament to separate the water from below from the water above. And he placed the water over the firmament. These are the waters that the psalmist stated in his praise to God. Psalm 104 says this. Praise the Lord, my soul, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light with a garment. And he stretches out the heaven like a tent. And lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. And he makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. The author of Psalm 104 praises God who stretched the heavens out like a tent. A dome, a canopy. And lays its foundation, its beams upon the water. Psalm 148 Verse 4 says, praise him, you highest heavens, you water above the skies. And I want you to notice these verses from Psalm talk about the water, and it's after Noah. It's after the flood. Because some people say that when the flood happened, all the waters that were above the firmament drained, and there's no more water above the firmament. But yet they praise him for it after the flood and continue to praise him for it and then on day three something amazing happens and that brings us to genesis 1 verse 9 and god said let the waters on the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and it was so and god called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters he called seas and god saw that it was good And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to various kinds. And it was so. And the land produced vegetation with plants bearing seeds according to its kinds, trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the third day. So what happened on the third day? Well, last week I talked about there was water and the seas that separated. But that water was there from day one, day two, day three. But now God separates the water, withdraws the water, literally brings it back and reveals land. This is at the point where some Christian scholars say that Genesis 1 cannot be a literal account of creation because it conflicts with Genesis 2. And so let's look at Genesis 2 real quick, and we'll get to Genesis 2 later. But for now, let's just look at why people, some scholars believe that it's a contradiction. And this is the reason why they can't take it at face value. Genesis 1. This is the account of the heavens. This is Genesis 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain; had not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now let's take a closer look at these two texts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is talking about the creation of the the entire earth and its ecosystem. It's dealing with earth. It's dealing with it in a broad term. Genesis 2 is talking about the creation of man and the garden that he is going to be placed in. Because we know that on day 6, God is going to create man. God is going to create him. And now day, uh, Genesis chapter 2 is now a commentary about that day. Well, how do we know it's a commentary about day six? Because the Bible clearly teaches us this at the first part of Genesis chapter two, that the heavens and the earth were completed in all its vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that which he had done. God rested on the seventh day, meaning that on day one through six was the work week. It was when God created the the, the, the firmament, the waters above, below, the land, the trees, the, the, the plants, the animals, the birds, the fish, and mankind on day six. And by seventh day, everything was done and God rested for it. There is no one to work the ground that Adam was going to partake yet and that's talking there was no one to work the ground because Adam wasn't created yet day six day six no one to work what to work the shrubs this is not mentioned in Genesis 1 trees seed bearing plants and trees that bear fruit were mentioned in Genesis 1 but not shrubs and no one was there to work the plants a garden that someone needs to take care of it Genesis 1 is about the wild, and Genesis 2 is about the garden. There is no other place in the Bible where it states that man was created outside of the six days of creation. It's always on day six. And day three is about the separation of water from land and the creation of land and the seas. It's also about the creation of seed-bearing plants and trees, in the wild, and there is no Big Bang scientist that believes that you could have water at the beginning of the event. And there's not one scientist that would tell you that you can have trees and plants grow in one day because they tell us we need certain things. We need the sun, we need water, and we need soil. Now, I'm not a botanist. I don't know anything about growing stuff. I can't even grow grass in my yard. But I've observed, I've observed several things about plants and trees. First, plants. My wife has, has planted things in a raised garden bed. And the only reason why I know it's called a raised garden bed is because I had to Google the term. I, I literally don't know anything about this stuff. But I do know this, that she planted the seeds early And now we are starting to see the result of that with the lettuce and the beans and the peppers and the onions, all those things, the tomatoes are starting to come about. But it took sun, it took water, and it took soil. I also noticed things about a tree. When we moved into our house in 2005, we planted a tree on the north side of our house, and and it took many years before it was strong enough to stand on its own because we had to stake it and make sure that it was upright and and then it grew to the point where it got even bigger than our house and even extending over to our neighbor's house but it took the sun it took water it took soil and all of these took time that's the way things work but i want to challenge you today on how you think about creation because one of the hard parts that we have with the story of creation is that could god really do all of this in one day everyone else tells us every scientist tells us time 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 13.8 billion years of time could god do this so quickly well i want to give a couple examples in scripture Because I do believe that God created the earth in six days. I don't believe that this world is billions and billions and billions of years old. And I don't trust scientists who tell me that they know that our system started 13.8 billion years ago when they can't even make predictions that are true today. So could God do this? Well, the first problem with the story is this. There is no sun in creation yet because the sun will be created on day four and we're only in day three. Some people say that the sun was actually created on day one and there was this cloud cover. And then on day four, he revealed it for us to see. Well, I got a couple issues with that. Number one, the text doesn't say that. And number two, if God created the sun on day one, why didn't he just say it? Why did he wait till day four? There is no sun yet. So how can you explain then? How can you explain something to be able to grow without sun? I didn't say, I, didn't, I don't say that you need the sun to grow things. It sure does help. But what we have discovered over these years is all you need is light. People have been growing herbs and plants in their house for decades with artificial light. They have water, they have soil, and they have a light source. And where does this light source come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said on the first day, let there be light. And so you have light. On day one, you have light. On day one, you have water. And on day four or three, you have land. You have land. You have the three components necessary. But what about time, Pastor? What about time? It's it's impossible to do this without time. I want to give two examples why I believe God can do this and why He did do it the way it was written in Genesis chapter 1. One of the first examples is this Jesus in the fig tree. Matthew chapter 21 says early in the morning, as Jesus was was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to and found found that there was no fruit on it, nothing except leaves, and then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, immediately the tree withered. In Mark, it tells us that the next day the disciples noticed this. But in Matthew, it tells us that what Jesus said, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the tree withered. I want you to know this, that God has the ability to control creation by his word, by his spoken word the tree had to obey the command of Jesus. And that happened overnight in an instant. Now, it's not possible to kill a tree that quickly without maybe some chemicals or setting fire to it. Even if you go around and you, you cut the tree and you, you, know, you cut that, that skin, that green part of the tree that supplies all of the tree with water and nutrients, if you even cut that around uh, the the tree stump, it still takes a long time for the tree to show signs that it would die. And it sure wouldn't be just a 24-hour period. The second example I want to talk to you about is Jonah. Now Jonah, the character in the Old Testament, he was asked by God to go preach to the people of Nineveh, but he didn't want to do it. He didn't like them. And they didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah rebels and he goes to Tarshish and he gets on the ship and he sails. And, and as they're going on this ship, all of a sudden this storm comes and, and, and it's a bad one. And everyone's, one, everyone is freaking out. And, and the Bible says they all call out to their own gods. And finally, Jonah says, Guys, it's me. And uh, just throw me overboard. And they're like, No, we can't do that. Please throw me overboard. And they say, Okay. And they throw Jonah overboard in the. The storm goes away and God brings this big fish and swallows them. And for three days, he's in the belly of this large fish. And finally, God, or Jonah, humbles himself and is willing to go to Nineveh. So the fish goes up to the beach, throws up Jonah, vomits him on the beach. And um, and then Jonah goes to Nineveh and he begins to tell the people that God is going to destroy them because of their wickedness. And they repent. But Jonah isn't happy about this, and I'm going to look at chapter 4. But Jonah seemed, this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, that, that that is what I try to tell you, and that's why I try to flee to Tarshish? I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And now, Lord, take my life. For it's better for me to die than live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And look what chapter 4 verse 6 says of Jonah. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered, and then when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, and so he grew faint, and he wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Now listen to what God said to Jonah. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jesus speaks to the tree and it obeys him. And God causes a plant to grow overnight enough to provide shade and comfort to a full-grown man and then overnight it's gone why do i bring those two illustrations up because i want you to see that god is in control of the creation and god has has the ability to make it happen quickly god is in control of receding the water so land would appear God is in control of taking things that take time and making it happen quickly. And I believe it happened all on day three. That when God spoke vegetation and trees, it had to obey him. And it had to obey him then. Not wait, but now. That's why I believe that something special happened on that day, on day three. On that day, God caused trees and plants to grow quickly. On that day, he made the impossible possible. And on that day, he showed us his power to make things happen. He doesn't need time. He doesn't need water or light or soil. Because he's the one who controls all these things. And he made it happen. I believe this. I believe that God is still a God who creates I believe deep down in my soul today that some of you have been praying for some things and you've been asking God, please God, help me God, I need a miracle. And it seems like time and time and time again that faith that you had, that belief, that confidence that God could do the impossible is starting to fade in the memory of time. But I want you to know, and I'm... I'm telling you this today, that my God who created this earth in six days, my God who is able to bring light and water and soil and miraculously make trees and plants spring up in one day, is the God who can step into your story and change it overnight. He's the God that can bring comfort and miracles and make it all happen overnight Because he is a God who is in control of every single detail of this world that we live in. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray you'll put your faith, your hope, and your trust in a God who can make it happen. I believe the Bible. I believe when it said that he made it happen in one day, I believe it. And I believe the one who told me that if I have faith in God, that anything I ask for in his name, it will be done. I believe it. I believe that he is able to change the story. As the book of Daniel says, he is the one who controls the times and the seasons. So have faith with me. Believe that on this day, something special is going to happen.